Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Her learn is on. It's I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Yeah, that's right. It. I'm here. So what's the name? What's what's her name? This is Shelly. Shelly. Mm-hmm. Shelly. People like Shelly. I think people like her. People people dig Shelly. Uh, what the hell did you do this weekend? You know, I got to think. What did I do Friday? Friday doesn't count. Saturday, I went on a hike. Ooh. New trail. Donnie? Um, I went on a hike and I will tell you, I, I go still, but I'm, I'm never comfortable. And that really bothers me because this one was, um, at the Hollywood sign. I never been, I've done like behind it wisdom, wisdom tree. I've done Griffith, but I've never done this one. And it was a good hike, but to cut it short, because that's more to go. Then I went to lunch, had a boozy brunch with a friend. That I hadn't seen in a long time. My dear Care Bear. Care Bear? Mm-hmm. What's her name? Care? His name. His name? He was he was at the book party. He was the stylist for oh, okay. um The Bachelor. Okay. So we didn't we finally got to catch up. And then we passed out. We went home and passed out. Okay. And then we I caught up with everybody, Brian included, and we went to now now you now now, now you're I feel like across, I have to say now you're coming across as guilty. No, no. Now I have to. You're not on my side. I am. And now I have to. I say, am on your side. I feel like I have to say. I, you guys have a great relationship. Just, just so people know, because like when they don't see a picture, they don't believe it. No, I went with um, Whitney, who I talked about, my friend Alexis, and Tyler, who just recently got engaged, and uh, Brian. We went to catch and had a good time catching up. Um, and then Sunday, I was just super productive. What did you do on Sunday? Tell me. I like. What's a productive day for Rachel? I got through e- like we- old, weeks old emails, text messages. I answered people back, did some stuff around the house, organized some stuff. Like it was a really productive day and I was very proud of myself. You do coke? Is that why you had so much? No, I did not do coke on Sunday. I was asking because you're like, you're saying that you got up and you. Like I took advantage of my day and I was proud of myself. I watched church. You ever done coke before? No. Never, not one time. No. Have you? I'm sure I've done it before. You were sure you would know if you've done coke. No, I said, sure, I've done it before. Oh, okay. You've never done coke before, Mm-mm. Donna. You ever done do coke? Did you like it? Just done it. Um, it was yeah. I would think that it would give you so much anxiety. I, I only did it one time. But it was because for like you, a, yeah, it I was, was for like a couple of days, you know, getting coked. You up. went on a binger, a little bit. Oh. <laughs> a couple of days of getting coked out. What did you do? Like it was in Vegas. Oh was God, you really out, had a time playing golf and going crazy. Playing golf? Yeah, it was like doing the coke. Day two. And uh, you're in Vegas, and it's like you're going nuts. And it's after that, it's a couple of days, and then like the tea time keeps getting pushed back. So I said, really, but the, then the, the last time you're chasing the sun, you're trying to, and then there's a point where you go, like, is this where everything's going to change? Is everything going to be different now because I'm on Coke? And I've done it a couple of times now, a couple of days in a row. I'm like, is it different? Like, your shit is beating. You're like, oh my God, like, what's going on? Where's How long did you stay awake? Uh, I was able to sleep like two hours the first night. And then like forty five minutes the next night, the thirty minutes. But I was like a lot younger now. I'm terrified. 
to do it now with mm-hmm. the way fentanyl is running around here. Yeah, you just brought it down. We were having like a nice co-conversation. What well, drugs no, have you done? Like, let's talk responsibly. No, I'm done. I am done with this conversation. What drugs have you done? What no. drugs have you done? Why are you, why is everyone so None. afraid? What are you afraid of? You haven't done any drugs. Not a drug. You've never done not one drug. Not one drug. What? What? Can I get cash? Does question? like Advil or a leave count? Okay. What? What do you get out of not letting the world know that you've done drugs? First off, I've never said that I do drugs, but I am a firm. I am a firm believer, though, of you not having to tell everybody everything. So, like, I don't even tell everybody everything about my personal life, which is why. Which is why. When people are like, you don't post Brian all the time. I'm like, yeah, I come from a from a school of thought of like being, keeping some things private. So like, I just don't believe you should tell every single thing about your okay. life. Just to let you know, we're moved on from the, the, the Brian No, 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 criticisms. but I'm just, I'm giving an example of right. keeping things private. So like what I do in my personal life, does it, is it, I don't need to share everything on the mic. Can I be honest with you? You know what it makes it seem like to me? Sure, that I do a bunch of drugs. Because you do a lot of drugs. <laughs> I don't know. Because, because, I really don't. Because if you just did drugs like here and here and like no, once in a while. I still wouldn't talk about it. It seems like something that you could just be like, you know, every once in a while, I, Angel does PCP. Oh, God. Uh, this is Rachel. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this is, this I is, would at least think you would is, start with something lighter. Yeah, this is Rachel. Rachel, I take my hand. This is Rachel right here. <laughs> I dip it into a bag that red devil angel dust and I <laughs> and then that's again like, the thought of snorting anything is terrifying to me I, I just so you inject no man no I don't inject you can show me your arms I you're the type of person inject. that's smart enough to put the injection between In your toes, toes. <laughs> Uh, by the way, shout out to everyone that's dealing with different things. It's okay. No, We're just, uh, just joking around about Rachel's. There's a, there's also a thing about losing control for me. That's just like you drink though. Yeah, but I feel like I've done that so much that I I like know what I can and can't handle. What's your um? What's your what, what, when did you start drinking heavily? Heavily, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Why can't I just drink? Why do I have to drink heavily? You know what's happening to heavily, me right now? Heavily, heavily, not heavily. You know what's happening to me right now? What? I watched the Diane Sawyer Whitney Houston interview. Like before you got on here? Like why? Why? Today. Why? Because somebody put a clip from it on Twitter, and then I was like, I haven't watched that in a long time, and now I'm in that mode. I want to know, like, what's going on, Rachel? Okay. With, with you and like what's happening? I'm I like, started drinking in college. Wow. How was that like? You're not Diane Sawyer. Uh, okay. And I'm not Whitney Houston. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm Even though I do kind of have the, you look, there's a point. Yeah, like, you I look know. like Whitney Houston right now. So, wow. So, tell me, <laughs> what was it like for you when you first, no. you know, felt the whiskey? You know, when it first... It was came, whiskey. I know I it was. Saying. I can tell. I've done my research. Remember, I'm very, you know... What was my drink of choice? Whiskey sour. Ew, no. Whiskey and... Mm-mm. Ginger beer. Actually, the first time I got drunk, we took shots of McCormick vodka and I wow. never in my, I did not, wow. I did not know that was going to happen to me. Who were you with? My cousin. So my cousin, best friend. Yeah. Your cousin who's your best friend. And we friend. never made it to the event. Wow. In that moment where you guys didn't <laughs> attend your goal <laughs> you of really making it to the <laughs> event, 
How'd you feel about yourself? Did you feel you you know ashamed? What? I, no, that you didn't I was make glad that I drank around people that I trusted. And this brought you guys closer. You feel like it brought you guys closer. I was with a group of people, but I was always close to them. Right. What made you decide to this give is up the last drinking? Question. I didn't give it up. Wow. So you're still today, <laughs> you still deal with that same thing. I think you're, I think what you have right now, I think you're a, an inspiration to so many people, so many places that are functioning alcoholics in their lives. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I went, we, What'd you do this weekend? Went Please. To the, went to the Laker game. I saw. Yeah, you tried to, tried to play me. No, no, no. What hurt the most? Mm-hmm. It's not that you went to a Lakers game. It's not that you took my friend Kalika with you. Mm-hmm. It's that in the background, I saw Spotify. Yeah. And I thought, wow, Spotify gave Van these tickets and they couldn't even get his co-host a ticket into the suite, which me- Jomi was there, which meant there were multiple people. That's what got me. So number one, the you Spotify know, logo. Number one, everything that you're saying right now, I want, you, I want you to take a long look in the mirror. Oh, Spotify Be- never took me to a playoff game. Because you get to do all kinds of cool shit that I don't even get close to being able to do. So the one time that the Lathan family steps out and we go someplace and have a good time, you have a problem with it. That to me shows you, well, it tells me something employer. about you. Okay. All right. Number one, Spotify didn't give me the tickets. I got the tickets in a roundabout way for somebody else. Spotify Bill. didn't give me a ticket. Wasn't Bill. Okay. It was Bill. You gave me a lot. It was Bill. Bill can't even text back about dinner. <laughs> and Bill can't do the tickets. <laughs> Wasn't Bill. Okay. So, but this just shows me how you can't see somebody else getting it. <laughs> You're courtside at the Laker game. You're and at, I hit her you, up. You, I was like, we need to go to Denver Lakers You're games. doing all kinds of stuff. But one time, one time, I leave the house and it's a problem. One time. I don't go, go nowhere. It was the Spotify. It's the Spotify. <laughs> it was the Spotify. I should have took Brian. It's the, I, you like, should have taken Brian. He would have loved that. I should have took Brian, man. Well. like it. So my thing is this. With taking Brian places. Is that cool with you? Absolutely. You could take him. Take him. Get him out. So you have a good time? I saw you were wearing Lakers gear. Yeah, I'm a big Lakers fan. I don't know if I really knew that about you. Yeah. I thought, for some reason, I thought you were a little bit of a Lakers hater. Are you nuts? But maybe like at the beginning of this podcast, I vaguely remember you talking about Lakers, but we haven't talked about him in a minute. Nah. So you're really excited. Well, that was a great game for you it's guys. Great, then. great, great game. Um, let me see this. What is this? What yeah, are you I mean, looking at? Yeah, what are it's you? work. It's work because Brian is like is a sole practitioner starting his practice. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at. I, I I just googled Brian and then it said, "I watched this. This was from Bachelor. What is this guy? Bachelor Nation." And it was uh and it was you and Brian on the interview together. Well are, let's talk about Batch real quick before we get into the podcast. What, I don't like our son drugs, bachelor. What's what's news? What's the new, latest news on the batch? I, I feel I can't be real with All you. All I know is there's a black bachelorette 
I can't tell you. And, pe- and people keep leaving that franchise. Like People keep dropping like flies, like people that used to work there. That is what I know. Who is Hannah Godwin? Oh, she was on the show. She had a uh, Las Vegas bachelorette party. You just Google bachelor? Yeah. She's really sweet. I like Hannah. Hannah G. That's what they call her. Oh, my God. Former bachelorette star caught in a car filled with cannabis. Samuel Colin Minkin was charged with oh supplying goodness. prohibited drugs after police pulled <laughs> him real? over in a Toyota heist. He recently purchased with someone else's money but using his own name. 322 individual vacuum, vacuum-sealed cannabis packages carefully packed inside weighed in more than 144 kilograms. Oh, my God. They moving that motherfucking weight on the bachelor. I don't know who that is. You have no clue? None. This guy is the man. <laughs> he was caught up in Operation Ironside. So, anyway. Um, well, you you are the one who is longing for Bachelor content and information. Why don't you tap back in? A new season's going to start. It's a Black Bachelorette. Why what's the name you, again? Charity. Why don't you tap in? Charity Law. Tap in, I mean. So, I mean, but I can't. Here's the thing. I'm like, I can't do batch without you. Like, they won't. They, I won't be accepted. Here's the thing. They would never accept me in batch world. They would love your opinion. This is not every one of you. Everybody who likes you hates me. That's not true. That's a fact. Nope. It's like it comes on a day. You, you could be, you, you could wear on you could wear a swastika on your hat. That's not true. Today, oh, today, and they would be like, Rachel had the prettiest red black and white hat on. Does anybody know where I can get that? <laughs> they fuck love Ben, me. you fat fuck. People are like, I came to the podcast for you, but I stayed for Van. That's, they used to say at the beginning. And then, no they, got, then they got deep into my brain. Look, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to be accepted in the Bachelorland without you. So, I mean, look. Sorry. What we have to do is we just have Nothing. to do Charity Lawson discusses what it means to be the second monoracial black bachelorette monoracial? It's just been me until her. So what? So monoracial meaning? All black. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so this is, so she is the second black monoracial bachelor. And that's then, a title? That's what it says right here. Charity what Lawson. publication? This is Bachelor Nation. Oh. The official website from the producers of the Bachelor franchise. Charity, very pretty lady. She was on a Jennifer Hudson show and she was talking about being monoracial. Like a monorail. And <laughs> um, her parents her parents have been together for 47 years. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. So Charity, I'm going I'm to tap in with Charity. You know what I mean? So, If I, you asked for Charity to come on the podcast, I'm sure they would have it. But not Matt James. Matt James could come on the podcast anytime he wants. Matt James is ducking the smoke. You want to call him? Call him up. Call Matt James. Get him on the phone. Let's see. Call him up. Let's see. What's up? Matt James, you're on higher learning. Van's over here talking about you've been ducking us, not coming on the podcast. Matt, when are you coming on the podcast? Are you with him right now? Yeah, he's right there. He's talking to you. 
Monday and Thursday. Matt, when you coming on, dog? We got to get this off the chest. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we lost him. <laughs> Matt, when you coming on? Seriously, though, you got to come on the podcast, bro. I'll, I'll come on. I'll come on in June. June. That's June. That's hurt. June. All right. Matt James is coming on the podcast in June. Don't run from the smoke. That's right. Matt, not only am I not going to change the tone, now you've assured that the tone going to get harsher. <laughs> We're having a weenie roast and you invited. <laughs> All right, Matt. All right. I'll call you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's gonna be sad that me and Matt are gonna end up being cool. Oh my gosh, you'll love each other. Um, <laughs> uh, Matt James is coming on the podcast. We'll get back into batch. I, I'm sorry, man. I needlessly I have to I have to have at least ten minutes of batch time per month uh, for the fans on the podcast. Fine, we'll figure out a way to to work it in. Maybe it's a batch. throwback. Maybe it's. Maybe it's a re. Maybe it's a watch of my season. Rachel, please, Dare. can I watch your season and give a little recap on it, please, Rachel? Maybe this will. Maybe this will get me back into the good graces of your fans. Can I please do a it's rewatch? A like I'll do it. So this is what I'll do. I just don't want you to have this much ammo on me. <laughs> so Rachel, like, I'm really being for real. I just don't want you to be like. I just can't. I'm asking for your permission. This is what we do. I don't have to rewatch, and we don't have to make it. How, Donnie, this is what we can do. I'll rewatch Rachel's season, right? You mean watch it? Oh, excuse me. Watch Rachel's season because I've never seen it. And then I will randomly hit the recaps. I'll let Donnie know. Donnie, give me the music. And then I'll just go into a recap. You'll never know when the recap is coming. So here's my thing. You're not going to be able to just randomly do it. The moment you watch, you're going to want to talk about it. No, so no. you're just not going to tell me when you're watching it? I'm just it? not going to tell you when I'm watching it. I'm not going to tell you when the recap is coming. I don't even know if you can get my season. Stop acting like you can't get the season. I'll find the season. My phone fell again. Like, stop. But I'll randomly do it and I'll just pop in maybe after we do like a tough segment and you won't even know and I'll just go into a recap of your season of The Bachelorette. But you have to consent to it. If you don't consent to it, I'm not going to do it because it's your stuff. You have to consent to it. Guys, let's put it to a vote. What fuck? I know they're going to say yes. Do it. Fine. God damn it, it's lit. That's what the fuck I'm talking about, Rachel. It's not going to start till after the Matt James interview. That starts us off. We are back on the road to Batch. I miss Batch. I was all caught up in Chip and Dale. I thought I saw you Chip. Were so, I like, you know what I mean? You were so like, so I, got, I can't wait. We back. All right, on the other side of this break, stupid children and the dumbass things that they do. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. 
Big Meal Deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large, big gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. Rachel, John Morant, guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, maybe, has been suspended from team activities after a video that showed him with a gun in his hand. So this Instagram Live video was reportedly captured Saturday. Ja was in the driver's seat of a parked vehicle and he had a gun. Have you seen this video? I have. What'd you think? Several times. Um, I mean, what did I think? First, I was like, did he have a gun? This is so quick. I mean, you really had to be watching. But of course, you know, the internet does what it does. Captured a freeze frame. And you could see that he was clearly laughing, riding the car, flashing a gun to the to the fault purposefully. Right. It wasn't even like he was doing something else. He looked at the camera, held up the gun. And then his friend tried to drop it, the camera and like, because he realized what was happening. Okay. Here's the thing with John Morant. Whether you like it or not, you're a public figure. Mm-hmm. And public figures are held to a higher standard. They just are. I've seen people say before, I'm not your kid's role model. I'm not a role model. At the end of the day, it'd be different if he was an entrepreneur. But you are a part of a league. You're a part of an organization. And there are certain rules that are in place. and I believe that when someone is investing millions and millions of dollars into you and you're the face of their franchise, that there's certain expectations that they have that come with that. And one of them is not playing with a gun in an irresponsible way, especially when you've already been reprimanded once for it. There is a morality clause in these contracts, which I would assume that this violates it. Obviously, he's been he's been reprimanded before. But the reason that, I mean, obviously this rubbed people the wrong way the first time. It was wrong the first time, but it's worse the second time because it's one of those shame on, what is it? Fool me once. I'm about to have a George W. Bush moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Um, you went to rehab or you went to something to work out on stress or whatever it is that you were going through and you're supposed to come back better. And now you're doing the same thing, which just makes it seem like you don't care. It seems like you're flaunting your behavior in everyone's face, in the league's face, in the organization's face, in fans' faces, and those that look up to you, their faces. And it's as if you just don't care. And especially in light of what is happening in this country with gun violence and just this unhealthy gun culture, You can't be so irresponsible and flip it when it comes to the handling of guns. Um, So to me, it was disappointing. Your actions have consequences. And now that's what's going to be warranted here. We're going to see what happens with John Morant. But it is disappointing because you're rooting for Ja. You're wanting him to do better. You're wanting him to be better. You're thinking that that's what happened after he took some time away and to himself 
only for him to come back and almost just seem to be like, what you going to do about it? And there's, there, there's this, um, I mean, I guess you would say perception of public figures or athletes or celebrities or maybe whatever it may be, where they think that they're above the law or that the rules don't apply to them. Mm. And it seems like, and, and some of that is true. They've been, a, in, I wouldn't say as much anymore, but, you know, there've been a lot of times where people with money can get away with certain things, whereas regular civilians can't. Uh, because people love this celebrity aspect of it. This seems to be one of those instances where John thought he feels like he can do whatever he wants without any type of consequence. I don't think that's what's going to happen here, but that seems to be why he was acting the way he was. Mm. So Ja has been on a uh, on a run of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. There was an incident where Indiana Pacers staff people said that uh, Red Bean was pointed at a member of their staff from mm-hmm. uh, Ja and his entourage. Not necessarily Ja, but maybe somebody in his entourage. That maybe they had the Red Beam team snipers, <laughs> Turk, no way, and pointed the beam at him. And then there was, of course, the incident with Ja and the kid where they were playing basketball, 17-year-old kid. And things got feisty between Ja and the kid. And there was allegations of assault by the young man. And the young man also says that Ja, ja threatened to kill him. So I can have, you had just have him killed. So another situation where Ja uh, was into it with a head of security at a mall or something like that. So it seems like Ja, over the course of the last six months to a year, has had trouble not finding himself in situations that are potentially either violent or detrimental to his future as a basketball player and as a human being, as a, as a young man. Um, so this is not in the vacuum. This is not in the vacuum, what's going on with John Morant and people's response to it. It's not in the vacuum at all. This is what I'll say. Firstly, there is absolutely zero way to justify or look at what's going on with John and not have a tremendous amount of frustration with the entire situation. It's frustrating. And it's frustrating specifically to somebody like myself. Okay. It's frustrating to watch someone who is so talented and who is um so prepared, has done so much work, is right there on the precipice of being able to change not only his life, but the lives of his family and people around him. Mm-hmm. Every time someone makes it, especially from the community, every time anyone makes it, it's like a little tree. A little tree grows. And we always think about the tree that grows and how tall the tree could grow uh, as reason that that person should try to put their best foot forward in society, right? Mm -hmm. What we don't think about is that the tree has branches. And off of job, will be other people who have the opportunity to also change their lives, right? So uh, I remember Ludacris had this lyric back in the day about his cousin. And he's like, he's talking, he was bragging about putting his, culin, his cousin through culinary arts school. The question is, is Ludacris's cousin, who is now probably like uh, a pretty excellent chef or cook, does that person get to go to culinary arts school if not for Ludacris? Now, on the other side of society, this is just the way things work. Mm-hmm. Your parents work in uh, um, 
factory for a long time and because they worked in that factory, you then have access to better schools. You have access to the healthcare from that place, better food and all of that stuff. And then you're a branch off their tree. You grow even taller and all of that stuff. For us, there's extra added stress on all of our success stories because we're not initiated into the world of success as much. So whenever somebody doesn't make it, it's not just that the tree gets cut down, is that there's like a little mini forest fire Mm -hmm. and it burns up a lot of other things. This is something that occurred to me as we were making hip-hop homicides. As we were making hip-hop homicides, I wasn't just struck by the amount of rappers that have passed away. What I was struck by was the carnage and the damage that was done in these people's lives Mm -hmm. uh, emotionally, economically, and from a prosperity standpoint because they were no longer around. Because a lot of them were so singularly talented that they had the ability to help people realize their talents in a way that society never was going to because they were the forgotten of society. Mm -hmm. Now, as I say all of that, I say that as a 43-year-old man who's been able to understand that and has lived through losing a lot of people and has watched as other young people have made decisions differently than what I've made, right? So I don't expect Ja Morant to have that because that's called wisdom. And I will say that I have some wisdom with that. I'm not trying to be uh, arrogant. I'm just saying that like sure. that comes from having lived a little bit. I would implore him to take the help that people are trying to give him. When he sees the uh, criticism of him by a lot of people, he's going to do what, what brothers particularly in society tend to do sometimes, which is say, if everybody is attacking me, the only thing left I have to do is fight. Because that's the way we're brought up. Mm-hmm. Like my father, I'm getting off the bus one time. Four guys, like I had these little spikes on my shoes. I had these, I don't know why my parents bought me these shoes. It was like these little, like Adidas joints. But they had like these little spikes. And I don't know if I ever talked about them. The shoes had these little, it looked like, mm-hmm. I don't know, some kind of rock climbing shoes and shit. And I don't know why they thought they was hot, but they was not hot. <laughs> so I get off the bus and it's four guys. And they're a little bit older than me and they're talking shit. And like, oh yeah, look at the nigga shoes. Oh, I said that nigga, oh, that nigga, that nigga shoes. Oh, that nigga, fuck that nigga, nerd, whatever. And I'm getting mad, but I walk home anyway. I come home and I tell dad. My dad like, you know, if they want to fight, you have to fight them. Like you have to fight them. And you got to fight all four of them. You have, you have to fight them. And he's saying, you have to fight because anytime you're attacked, you have to make sure you meet that with the appropriate force. Sometimes, love looks like an attack. Sure. Sometimes the criticism seems like one of those attacks and we meet it with the force. I'm imploring John Morant right now to not meet this criticism with uh, the, after he thinks about it, the fact that he wants to defend himself. Don't meet this criticism with, hey, fuck you guys. Y'all don't know what I've been through. Y'all right. don't know where I've been. We don't know where you've been through and we don't know where you've been. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for Ja, what we do know is where you're going if you don't get a handle on what's going on, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Because while I haven't seen Ja's fat, his past, I don't know the town that he was born in and all that. The future that might be there for him, right. I've seen that dozens of times. It's actually pretty typical. 
it would be, and, and there's no amount of money that stops you from having that outcome. We've seen it happen to the richest, most talented people in our culture. We've seen it happen to uh, people that live around the way from us. All right. So I am hoping that John Morant makes better decisions. Whatever is going on with him right now, I, I, I hope that there's somebody that can put their arms around him and, and, and let him know that he's bringing a lot of undue pressure onto himself. Okay? Uh, and I hope that that happens, really. I will say this, though. It is also our responsibility to be nutritious in our criticism of John Moran. It certainly is. It's our responsibility to not be hens in a sewing circle and online gossipers if we actually care about what's happening. And what I mean by that is that the criticism has to come from a place of elevation. The name calling and all of that stuff, there's no place for it. What that to me is white man's nigga shit. And the reason why I say that is because there's a bunch of people who want to give off the impression that they aren't as fucked up as he is. And when that type of posturing happens, when that type of posturing happens to me, it's respectability politics in action. You do not have to pretend like what John Moran is doing is not destructive and not bad and not silly and not stupid. You don't have to pretend like that. But if you're somebody that's saying that you're doing this for a reason, that you're having these opinions for a reason, then there has to be nuance, nutrition, and intent in the way that you discuss this. Because more than anything, more than stupid, uh, more than careless, more than idiotic. This is sad that we're watching this happen in real time. This is where I will disagree. I agree. I will agree with name calling, right? I don't think that you should tear him apart and put him down. But I don't th think that that means that you can't talk about it in a way because this isn't the first time it's happened, right? We, the first time that we that he was suspended back in March and he was out for those eight games and he went to some sort of facility to work on himself, we saw it. We were sad. It was disappointing. We were upset at what happened. So now fast forward to May, less than two months later, it's happening again. And this is after you've worked on yourself. I And you've spoken to the media about what that time away did for you. I don't think it's wrong to call an action stupid. I don't think it's wrong to call an action idiotic. I right. do think it's wrong to call a person an idiot. And you, I think there can be a sense of sadness and disappointment and frustration for all the things that you just said about looking at him and knowing what he is and what he can be and how he can inspire other trees to pop up just because of, of what he represents on and off the court. So I think that, you know, I'm not going to be too, I will be harsh on people calling him names, but I'm not going to be harsh at people being very disappointed because of the potential that can be. I'm also not into, I'm not going to call somebody a white man's nigga just because they come, they get on to jaw. He did something again, the same thing, very recently, and then you added all the other stuff that's been happening. Yeah. So I don't want to take it easy on him, 
But I also don't want to kick him while he's down. But I think that there's a fine line of holding somebody responsible and accountable. And sometimes, as you just said, love can look like an attack. Hmm. So I agree with you. And that's the point I was making is that what Ja's doing is incredibly stupid. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly stupid, not just because of the fact that he's putting his future in doubt. Like you, it seems he's unsafe. He's putting himself in unsafe situations, yeah. talk, which I talked about. Let me tell you what the white man's nigger shit is. And I'm not directing this at anybody in particular, right? Um, what I'm saying is there's an overall need for us sometimes in our community to project a certain reputation or show ourselves in a certain light. Sure. And sometimes that need doesn't show up just in the way that we act when things are good. It's the way we treat each other when things are going badly. Mm -hmm. Because we want there to be a separation between us and the bad niggas. These are the niggas that's doing the nigga shit. <laughs> These are the niggas that are doing this and doing that and feeling this way. We're not them. We're better than that. We want to, and then we convince ourselves sometimes that we want to put those people down so that we can then be uh, an inspiration or use them as a cautionary tale to other people. Yeah. To other people that were, what about the athletes that might emulate what Ja's doing? What about the people that might come behind him and try to do those same things? What I'm telling you right now is those kids, a lot of them mm -hmm. that see that, all they see is him dunking and then they see his parents, us, yelling at him. Mm -hmm. What they have to see is people taking an active interest in no way shooting him bail. Okay, and I'm going to talk about what I, what I got into on Twitter in a little bit. Um, in no way shooting him bail for what, he's, for what he's doing, but also understanding that if we want an outcome where he does better, mm -hmm. then there's a way that you achieve that outcome. And I'm not saying that people are not going to have their jokes. I get that. But as somebody who's an older black man in this, in, in, in this space, I feel the need to have the criticism have some real stop to it and have and have it be something that can really impact people so that we can talk about some of the reasons why kids like Ja might be going through this situation or why we might be flashing guns, what the influences are, and how we use this to stem the tide of people putting themselves in situations like that. Last thing I'll say, because I want to hear what happened on Twitter. Um, do you think that some of that is lost in the fact that this just happened in the same way again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so this is what I'll say. I think about other people who have gone through a lot of shit and then gotten it right after a while, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people don't remember this, but there was a time when Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, mm -hmm. $100 million a year, sure. all of that stuff, was not just um, an addicted person, right? Uh, it, it wasn't just his substance uh, abuse problem that he had, it was the fact that he was creating dangerous situations from it. He mm -hmm. crawled into somebody's house and got in their bed. I mean, he was uh, locked up for a little while. The whole now you want to laugh about the, uh, it seems like you think it's funny. No, I do You just, I just seen it. I seen <laughs> What the, is funny you about it? See, you're laughing now. Stop. You, you want, like you want There's to, nothing you funny. You said, like, it seemed like some Goldilocks and the Three Bears shit. Like he, 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 he but that's what happened. You like you. I saw it on your face. You wanted to laugh. He climbed up somebody's chimney, came down like Santa Claus, and got in their bed. 
You still try not to Stop laugh. Stop looking at you, me. You're, like, you're, you're, you're trying not to laugh. It's not funny. Keep telling the example. Um, <laughs> so as, as many times as he found himself in that situation, there was, and I'm not liking it to necessarily having a gun, but there were some things in there that were certainly criminal. There was this feeling out of the town, let's help this guy. There was. There really was. Oh, I believe it. And a lot of people, they they weren't there, but there was this feeling, okay, let's help this dude. He's troubled. That he's troubled. He's like, like there's there's something going on. Let's figure out like how we help him, right? Josh Hamilton. Um, and these are obviously people that had drug issues. Josh has talked about maybe that there's some alcoholism. Because he said he doesn't have a drinking problem. Right. So what I'm what I'm saying is some of these people were able to beat their demons, some of them weren't. Mm-hmm. But if you want somebody to get better at something, there is a way that you go about talking to them. I want to talk about influences real quick before I get to Twitter. This is a part of it. I want people to think back. People talk a lot about Allen Iverson. I want people to think back. Think back to the NBA pre-Allen Iverson. The NBA pre-Allen Iverson looked completely different than what it does now, okay? And I was thinking about this. So Allen Iverson comes into the league. He's got his tax. That's corn roses, got all of that stuff. Loved him. Yeah, you do. See? See, you're going from laughter to lust. Two L's. <laughs> um, just the thinking of back in the day. Nigga, you all right? Like, just, like, you, like, you having a I, moment? Because we can leave. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved Allen Iverson. We all did. We all did. So, Allen Iverson, um, tats, jorts, corn roses. Mm-hmm. Then you start to see it in the league. What does that tell you about the guys in the NBA? Easily influenced. They're impressionable. <laughs> and as much as we talk about, um, as much as we talk about people who have changed the NBA, the Fab Five changed the way the shorts were. Then somebody else came and said, I don't want to wear the long shorts no more. I want to fucking have my shorts come to the mid-thigh. And then there are all of these different trends with the ninja headbands. And then it was the tights under the jerseys. And you see this stuff going all around the league. These guys are kids. Yeah. They're they're impressionable. They see things and then they want to emulate them. Okay? So when we see John Moran in in a club flashing a gun or when we see John Moran in a car, putting a gun up to the screen. My question, when it when we're talking about young guys in the NBA, is why didn't this happen sooner? Because we've talked about on this podcast the influence of music and certain aspects of culture, um, what they see and what they hear on people. And whenever you try to have that conversation, mm-hmm. what what we've gotten back, what I've gotten back is fantasy Dolores Tucker, Van is some, you can't blame anybody for this, you can't blame anybody for that, and you can't. But what I what I will say is that we're at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're at the beginning of this. We're at the beginning of guys of this caliber um, of athlete, of this station in life, thinking that they have to run into, I mean, it's not like it hasn't happened before, right? I mean, we saw that even with Iverson and with other guys and the way that they act. Now, the only thing that's different is their guns in the videos that you show 
Yeah. And there's a way that you turn up and the way that you act. So you are going to see people in this situation emulate this mm-hmm. stuff. So we can't have it both ways and we can't say, hey, there's no way for us to criticize some of the um, influences in the, in the art, right? Mm-hmm. In, the, in the music and the videos. But at the same time, we want to criticize the people who are being influenced by that. He's 23. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So where's, where's the conversation at? It's a good point about the age, too, because I think a lot of times we forget how young right. these guys, they're 18, 19. 18, 19, 20, 21 coming into the league. You didn't see Michael Jordan run out and get a bunch of tattoos when Iverson came in the league, but Kobe did. And a lot of the other people in that same age, like they're kids. You know what I mean? All right. So I tweeted something. And the tweet was this. A lot of people looked at this tweet as me shooting some bail to John Morant. The tweet was, uh, if John Morant, uh, paraphrase for me, if John Morant was a gun enthusiast on YouTube and his pure shooter 12, um, and he had... That's his handle? That's his, that's his pure <laughs> okay. shooter. Boom, okay. 12 okay. is his number. Okay. You like that shit. If he was like a, a gun enthusiast on YouTube and he was, um, you know, shooting guns and doing all that stuff on YouTube, would, would people have a problem with that? Is that, a, is that an issue? Uh, and a lot of people was like, Van is, 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 is defending John Moran and other stuff like that. This was a thought exercise to me okay. because what I wanted to do, and sometimes, obviously, I'm unserious on my, my tweets. I was serious about this, but not in trying to make John Morant seem like he's not acting stupid. More so trying to ask the question, is it, in this situation, is it the gun? Is it the cavalier way in which he's showing the gun? Or is it the actual uh, image of him with the gun uh, itself? And the NBA Young Boy song, which is, I'm assuming... Is that what was playing in the background? I'm assuming it was Young Boy. That's what people say it was Young Boy. Uh, the, the whole nine. Like, what is it? So to you, mm-hmm. let's do something that's stupid. We we shouldn't do this, right? Which is, look at this incident, incident in a vacuum. Let's just talk about this one picture and incident okay. and why it's bothersome to you. You're asking me now. Yeah. The main thing for me is the cavalier way in which he's handling the gun. Okay. And I think that goes into the third one of the image of him holding it because it's the image of him holding it in a cavalier way. Right. Um, if he was an enthusiast, as you said, it would have been different. Like, who's your friend that came on our podcast? Shout out to him. Sorry, I can't think of uh, Ja. Ja, Ja. How could I forget that? And what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ja, uh-huh. who came on here. I don't think he would be do what Ja was Ja Morant was doing in that video. Mm-hmm. As an enthusiast, he would be using his guns, I feel like, in a different way than, you know, riding around in the car, listening to a certain song and flashing it on a live. So to me, it's the image of him doing it in a cavalier way. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. And you're right. This is what I was saying. If I look at the picture in and of itself, first of all, I have hundreds of pictures with me holding the gun both outside and inside as a kid. Hundreds of pictures. I got pictures with me and just guns behind me, pictures with me holding the gun. Um, the two times that John Moran has been pictured with a gun, he hasn't pointed the gun at anyone, not even at the camera, which is what you see right. when you watch these videos, right? It's like pointing the gun at the camera. That means somebody's at the other end of that gun, right? Um, 
and his hands never been on the, his fingers never been on the trigger. Mm-hmm. So even in this case right here, when John Morant picks the gun up and he holds it, if you look at the picture, which I have up right here, his I want you to see this, his the gun is pointing up. His finger is off the trigger. So he's holding it responsibly? I'm not, I'm saying he's not holding it irresponsibly, right? So it's irresponsible to probably have the gun out in, in, in this the situation. car while it's driving. That's the, that's well, the car the, isn't driving. Oh, they weren't driving? Well, okay. No. In the car, maybe, no, okay. So, so, so look. To me. To, and I get it, and you're, and you're not wrong. Okay. But I wanted to know is it the image of him with the gun that's bothering people? Um, is it the image of him using the gun like it's a party tool that's bothering people? Because that speaks to to more, that speaks more to uh, what we think you should be able to do with a gun and how you should be able to move around a gun uh, than it does to, like, John Moran himself. Well, I would add one more thing to that. It's also that we just saw you do this. That he's got a pattern. That's like that. It's like, and we were we were rooting for you the first time, and like you did it again. Like that's why I'm like the shame on me thing. That that I think is what takes it over the edge. Um, one last thing we'll hit on, and uh, people are talking about the morality contract, uh, con, con, like clause, clause that the mm-hmm. NBA has. So, the uniform, the uniform I'm reading right now, the uniform contract stipulates that a team can void a contract if the player fails, refuses, or neglects to follow. The moral turpitude clause. What is moral turpitude? In general, it is conduct that is contrary to honesty, good morals, sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. Moral, no, moral turpitude. Mm-hmm. I want people to know something when you talk about the moral clause that the NBA has. Just a little history for you. Like uh, when it started? No, no, no. When it started, I want people to, to know this. So there's a couple things. Number one, There are a lot of things, a lot of things, because John Moran has been suspended by his team, okay? Mm -hmm. There is a definite argument about whether or not that's fair. The the original suspension? No, not the original suspension. The original suspension is fair because John Moran is in Denver on a work trip. So he is in Denver with the Memphis Grizzlies, okay? And the CBA clearly states... That's the league policy. That's the league policy. Not the team policy. Right, but the the CBA clearly states that while you are with, around, on NBA business, you cannot have a firearm. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even matter if it wasn't Josh Gunn. He cannot do that. Mm -hmm. In this situation, just looking at this intellectually, it is different. That's the league policy. It's my understanding that the team has its own moral clause. Which is? It's just more broad. Tell me. I mean, like, I don't know specifically what well, we Memphis is, is but, right. but usually in these contracts or endorsement contracts, it's that they have the right to terminate a contract or otherwise punish a player who engages in criminal or unseemingly or unseemly, I mean, behavior. So, so usually, like, there's a league policy, but I... I was looking specifically for Memphis's. I didn't find that. But what I did find is that teams have their own. I don't, 
this is, I could have just read this wrong. And if that's the case, then it is more broad. I don't know if that's a fact. You can correct me. Y'all can get mad at me if that's wrong. But it was my understanding that teams have morality clauses or organizations do. So if teams have morality clauses. For the sake of argument, we'll say that. So if teams have morality clauses, because I want people, I want people to know that like Latrell Sprewell choked out his coach. Yeah, we remember. Okay. He choked out his coach and the team tried to void his contract based on the morality clause and an arbitrator said they couldn't do that. And that was in the 90s. Right. So, but what I'm, what I'm telling you is when you look at this, what else would fall under the no. morality clause? Let me ask you a question. If, if this... John Morant, let's say John Morant wasn't in the car with a gun. Let's say he was in the car on Instagram Live and a girl was in there sucking his dick. Mm-hmm. Because that's happened. Mm-hmm. Because um, there have been a couple of different, I worked at TMZ, I <laughs> a couple of different NBA players who fucked up. I mean, a guy who's playing in the playoffs right now, Jamal Murray, uh, fucked up and had it on his Instagram, a girl giving him a blowjob. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that it, it is just the NBA. And, your I, book, and I, and I yeah. made up the, the second part. Um, usually, more, if it's if that is exactly how it reads, then yeah, there's an argument to not suspend him because where where did this take place? This took place in the car. This I is mean, after because they're out. They're out the playoff, out of the playoffs. They're out of the playoffs. This is done. Anything like anything like this, from my understanding, he is either um, he, that he's in Memphis here. It doesn't look like he's broken any laws. Yeah, I mean, does he? He has a license to carry. Or do you need one in Tennessee? You might, it, it might be open. Is the gun registered? I don't know. So this is all information that we don't have. Yeah. So like what I'm saying is just, the only reason why that's fair to bring up is because not that we need to shoot John Morant any bail. The only reason why that, that's fair to bring up is because there is a chance that if everyone is so on board pushing them to discipline him based upon a morality clause while he's doing something mm-hmm. that is irresponsible if we give all of that, but not necessarily illegal, that's a can of worms mm-hmm. that I would expect, number one, the Players Association to be involved with, even though it doesn't seem that they are, and also that might give the league uh, the mandate to do things that some of you might not feel like are immoral. To, to, to punish people for things, shall I say, that some of you might not think are immoral. Because all the language that I've been able to find, it's pretty broad. Well, it always is. Morality clauses are always broad. Because you can't get specific on what is considered moral or not. Like, you can't, I mean, you could say sexual, criminal, but then there's always going to be something that falls between the, morality clauses are always super vague. That's why people get, lose their endorsements so easily. That's why companies have the liberty to fire people under the morality clause because it's so broad. You're never going to find a specific one. However, the NBA specifically with the guns, that is specific. While you're, while you're doing NBA shit. That's specific. Like while you're doing NBA shit, you can't have no gun. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll say this. Having said all of that, I feel like everybody has some responsibility here. John Morant has a definitely a definite responsibility to him, the safety of the people around him, uh, around him, his uh, his his future, his family, 
to him fucking self yeah. to do better than what he's doing right now. But we, in our criticism, I heard this on Positive America one time. Um, they were like, uh, damn it, now I'm going to forget it. They were like, we have to be, um, we have to be intentional in our criticism. They were talking about the Democrats. But like with John Morant, if you care, you should be criticizing him in a nutritious, nurturing, uh, sort of, to me, uh, holistic way. Sure. And I just think that's fair to the young man. Or if you, if you care about black people, if you don't care about young <laughs> black men and say, fuck him, he's an idiot, and get off my dick, John Moran. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Joe Biden is at Howard University. He talked about what he feels like is the most dangerous terrorist threat in America right now. Play Joe. Stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go. Um, you got a bigger problem with him saying that it's the biggest threat. White supremacy is the biggest threat in front of a black HBCU or a problem that he said black HBCU. Black HBCU. Um, okay. Question. Do you believe that he feels that way? Yeah. You do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking you like, yeah. I, like, it, look he was at Howard he, he was listen, talking to them do you believe that he feels it's not the first time he said it I know it's not the first time he said it which is why I say listen do I believe that he thinks it's maybe not the biggest threat but a threat to democracy sure I, I do believe that because it's not the first time he said it because he has talked about wanting to do things to better the lives of Black people in America, <laughs> even though he knows hasn't acted on some of the biggest things in regards to the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and the Voting Rights Act, which he acknowledged in this speech. In, within the speech, he acknowledged that they could do better to deliver. And he talked about being frustrated on it and Congress's failure to refuse to pass certain things. And he pledged in front of this audience to work on those issues and other issues within his second term. Here's the thing. I just think that, 
And the reason he had to talk like this, and he had to say this at an HBCU, he had to say this in a public way, because a lot of people are frustrated with the Biden administration in regards to wanting specific things that were promised to them or feel like he's put certain issues on the back burner. He is losing the young voters, specifically the Black ones. So he had to do this. But another reason that he had to talk in this way is because his opponents, whoever they may be, will just say DeSantis and Trump are doing everything to input laws, DeSantis, within his own state. And the way that Trump talks in a general way, we just saw it in the town hall, you know, the one that Van thought was okay on CNN, He's doing things. His opponents are saying things that further white supremacy. So he had to come out and make a very bold statement. You look at what DeSantis, like I said, is doing in Florida, getting rid of, you know, DEI in the state of Florida, talking about critical race theory, not wanting African-American AP courses. You have Trump just saying that he would pardon, pardon, pardon most of the insurrectionists from January 6th, these people are furthering white supremacy. Whether you want to call it in an overt or covert way, they're furthering it. So Biden has to stand firm on acknowledging that white supremacy exists and that he is going to try to do things that take it away. And I think the first step is acknowledging it. But now you got to act on it. You got to act. You got. I. I understand that Congress. What does is that stopped. look like to you? That's the thing. I understand that there's only so much that he can do with Congress. But up until this point, I think most people would would have forgotten that he has called out white supremacy in this way before. I think he has to continuously say it and not be afraid of what the other side is going to take how they're going to take that and run with it, because they already are. They're already saying, oh, Biden's talking about white supremacy. Biden's the one who's really dividing this nation because he continues to talk about racism. Well, it's here. It exists. And people are trying to put laws in place to further it. They're trying to erase history, which and saying that we're hurting Americans and white people. You have to call out what's being done. That, I think, is the first step. And then, you know, he can only do so much with acting on it if Congress is going to continue to hold him back. But he's got to be, he's got to keep talking about it. So, uh, it's one of those things that you don't want to criticize it just for the sake of criticizing it. Correct. But you do want to, um, you don't want to make sure that you're looking at things in the realm of reality. Okay. And I'm not going to relitigate Joe Biden's past on race. Uh, we all know the issues that Joe Biden has had on race in the past from crime bill to working with segregationists and all that stuff. We're not going to do that. But what we can say is this, is that there is a, a sinking feeling that I get or a sick feeling that I get. Sinking and sick. sick sinking. Sickening. Sink, let's combine it's not working. sick it's not working. and sinking. It's too close. Sinking. Sickening. 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 <laughs> There's a sickening feeling that I get uh, when I hear something that seems like lip service. Um, Sure. Especially just in time for uh, a presidential sure. uh, election. But I'll say this. He has talked about it after the Buffalo shooting. He talked about it. Talked about it a couple of different times in terms of what he feels like white supremacy is is uh, is doing to the country and the, the threat that it, that it poses to uh, not just black people, but people everywhere. Okay. But black people. Okay. Um, what I expect from this and... There have been some movements, anti-lynching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, what I expect from this is 
to see this in policy? Of course. Okay. So white supremacy doesn't just exist when someone grabs an AR-15 and shoots up uh, um, a supermarket in Buffalo. We've talked about this before. White supremacy is not the shark in the ocean in America. It's the water. It's the thing that's fed everything else in America since America was started. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the water is not polluted with white supremacy. White supremacy is the water in America. And if you are serious about addressing white supremacy, you can't just address it in terms of terrorism. You have to address it systemically and you have to address it intentionally. And that means looking at it in places where people might not like the fact that you're looking. So when you hear Joe Biden talk about funding the police, just something I'm sure he feels like he has to say, just like Kamala felt like there are things that she has to say. It's bullshit both ways, but he feels like they, they feel like they have to say them. But I would like to hear him say or see him do, because I don't give a really fuck what he says, is talk about how we're going to root out white supremacy in institutions that affect black people every single day. Those institutions are environmental. When we talk about water situations in Flint, in Jackson, uh, lead in um, drinking water and pipes and all of that stuff, which they've tried to to address, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know how the nation is on the track to be less white supremacist in four more years under Joe Biden. And that doesn't mean white people saying mean things about black people. That means these are the numbers that are uh, disproportionate and that affect black people. And this is what we're doing to address those numbers, and that's across the board. Mm -hmm. So I like the fact that the conversation is being had, but he's the president. Yeah. And so... We shouldn't have to, he shouldn't have to say that he is combating white supremacy or that it's dangerous to us. We should know that he, he feels that way by being able to reflect that in the way he's pushing the systems that he has control over or influence over to move. So do you think that there's something that he could be pushing that he's not? As in like, for example, I talk about George, uh, the the Justice and Policing Act and voting rights. There's only so far he can go with that. Do you think that there's a place he could go where he could, you know, exercise his power that he hasn't? Mm. So there's one place that he can go on some of these things that he hasn't gone yet, in my opinion, and that's to the mattresses. He can, do you know what that means? Keep going. Do you know what go to the mattresses means? Yeah. What does it mean? Go to the mattress. Tell, tell me what it means. What do you mean? Go to the mattress. Because I want to make sure that it's not lost on you. Because I know you haven't seen this movie. Maybe you have. Yes, you might have seen this one. You might have seen this one. You might have seen this movie. The Godfather? Yeah. I knew it. Keep going. Go to the mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> it means you fight. Every I, once in a while, I, I surprise you. Fucking Every ecstatic. once in a while. <laughs> I just knew it. I'm like, I bet Ray's seen The Godfather because that looks like something that, the, that, something that the judge will watch. <laughs> you know, the judge is in there like, I want to show y'all what a family. Now, they was no. criminals. My dad's a Western guy. Oh, yeah. Not That's a right. mafia guy. Slave movies? You dad like slave movies? 
they did make us watch Roots, but we can talk about that yeah, later. later. I see your dad <laughs> watching Drum. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> all right, tonight I got a, something for us to watch. It's called Mandingo. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, so, okay, so when we're talking about funding the police, which is something that Joe Biden has discussed. Yes. Um, Save America plan, things like that. You also have to talk about rooting out the white supremacy in police departments all over the country that lead to the outcomes that we see when we're talking about black and brown people. And that's a part of that conversation, okay? When I say go to the mattresses on some of these things, I don't know how to tell the president to be able to, to, to make people vote for him on things or vote with him on things that they don't seem to vote with him on, right? But I do know that there's, there's sometimes competing narratives with Joe Biden. He definitely wants to unite America, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't have his need to unite America and reach across the imaginary aisle. This is less aisle space than people think that there is. Cost us progress. So when we're having a conversation about white supremacy, the only way that you defeat white supremacy, and you can't whisper to it. You have to scream directly at it, take out a blade and stab right. it in its heart. And if you're going to be up there talking to the, the graduates of the esteemed Howard University, then you need to be a weapon for them and not just a mouthpiece. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I said he's saying it. He needs to keep saying it, but then it needs to be targeted in how he's going to. And he has to because of what the other side is going to do in this election. And I just hope that he doesn't back down and he continues to call out white supremacy because too often... People are scared of like the word racism, racist, and white supremacy. So I was happy to hear him say it, but now it's like, okay, well, you can't just talk. Because this is the thing, people are going to be harder, not that people want the other side of it, right? They don't want DeSantis, they don't want Trump. People are going to be judging Biden harder this go around because of the things that you promised as you were running for president the first time, because of the way the black vote propelled your, you know, election, the election for you. People are going to be harder on him. So, the census is small. Him. Have you noticed that? He's. What was I listening to? Somebody still saying how awkward he is. And he's small, bro. I didn't realize he was that small. You I know what I mean? Know. I was. I realized. I mean, that's all good. They say. They say that he's six feet tall. I don't know. I don't believe that. He looks like a spinner to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Santos, man. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, nigga. All right, uh, Gavin Newsom, more politics. He declines to pay reparations checks, says slavery's legacy is more than cash payments. A panel in California created to consider reparations for black residents voted over the weekend to approve recommendations for the payments of reparations to black Californians for injustices and discrimination stemming from slavery. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom called the recommendations a milestone in our bipartisan effort to advance justice and promote healing. He added, we need to wait for the task force to finish its work and submit its final report without offering any further details about whether or not he supports the recommendations put forth. Um, The recommendations approved outlined restitution that if approved by state lawmakers could cost billions of dollars to address historical disparities in healthcare, housing, and policing. 
Dealing with the legacy of slavery is about much more than cash payments, Newsom said in his statement. Many of the recommendations put forth by the task force are critical action items we've already been hard at work addressing. So, he says that slavery is more about more than checks. So that makes me think that he doesn't want to play, pay no checks. <laughs> what about you think? It makes me think that he's waffling. Waffling? Echo? Gavin <laughs> Echo Newsom? I mean, here's the thing about white liberals. They can be very passionate and very, you know, talk about equality and wanting equality for everyone. But then it almost, not almost, it doesn't go all the way. So, for example, uh, liberals like Gavin Newsom are very, are against the book banning and say that we need education and talk about uh, in regards to our Black history. And they talk about the importance of teaching all history and how important it is to know that. but then you don't want to act on that knowledge that you learn and how Black people were wrong in regards to reparations. Because that the importance of that history and being educated on what has happened to Black people, it is important for us to know, one, so we don't repeat it, but also to see how we were wrong and also how there is institutional ra- racism. And it goes on and on and on. But the the point of reparations about is about equality. So if you talk about this equality and you talk about um, the importance of all these things, then why can't you act on that importance and that knowledge in regards to reparations? The fact that he seems to be taking a step back makes it seem like it was all talk, creating this task force, and it looks good, and you've gathered these people together with all this information, and it seems like, the not seems like, the information they are providing you shows that reparations are necessary, and now you're like, well, it's not just about the money. Well, which one is it? If you're going to go hard, if you're going to fight for equality, if you're going to be a white liberal, you got to go all the way. So I don't understand how you can truly be well-versed on the history of Blacks in this country and then not want to act on that to make Black people whole. No? Okay. I agree with you. Um, I'm sick of it. The show? The performance? I'm the reparations conversation is the single most important conversation in American racial discourse. There's no issue more important than reparations to me. And there have been a lot of people out there, some of them controversial voices, some of them voices that people don't, don't like all the time that have been talking about reparations. And despite the fact Sometimes these people are, sometimes they yell and they shout and people don't like them on Twitter. I'm going to say their names. Tone Talks, Yvette Cornell, uh, Tariq Nasheed. These are people that I've been talking about the reparation situation for a long time. I'm not sure what's going on with everybody and how everybody's doing and who likes who and who doesn't like whoever. But I know that there is an entire portion of um, African-American 
intellectual thought that thinks about this every single day. And I'm not saying that I agree with everything, every single thing that's said, everything, single thing that's done. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're the only people that I've been advancing this or pushing this. Camilla Moore is somebody who I was able to meet out in um in Atlanta. Uh, Erica Alexander, uh, actress, activist, brilliant lady, has been talking about reparations. So another thing, Killer Mike. These are people that I probably have some a lot of political differences with. But I really do believe that reparations is something that it's more important for people to, um, especially black people, to make space for each other on than just kind of go off the, the, the beaten path with everything else that you might do that I don't like, okay? I think that those people are sincere in their want to see reparations uh, paid out to black Americans. And let me tell you why I think it's the most important issue. Mm-hmm because it's the seed issue of every other single issue, okay? It's difficult to find rich areas with really high crime. And it's difficult to find poor areas with really low crime. Some of them exist on both sides, but it's a hard thing to do. And that's because the corollary between access to things, and when I say access to things, I don't just mean access to money. I'm talking about what economics in your area does. Your mental health is 40% impacted if there's a homicide within a half a mile of you. So everyone that grew up in places where people get killed, and even the white people that grew up in places where there's high crime, their mental health is being impacted. What they're eating, the lead that's in the pipes or in the paint or in whatever where you are is affecting your fucking brain. The food that you're eating, everything. And your access to, to, to economic freedom and to money that might change your situation affects all of that, right? That is how peaceful people have uh, been characterized as being inherently violent um, because they've been in a war zone for hundreds of years and people don't expect them to react accordingly, right? And that characterization still to me is incredibly untrue and I think everybody that's ever looked at it knows that. Uh, now, when Gavin Newsom and people like this do this or, 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 or draw these lines, what they're saying is that they're not prepared to have a serious conversation on race. They're not. If you are anti-reparations Agreed. or if you, if you say that a specific type of payment doesn't answer the question, Gavin Newsom or anybody else, you're telling me you are not seriously prepared to have a conversation on race in America. You're not. You can't be. Because the entire conversation around race in America is on disparities. It's on what it means to live inside of your black skin and what that black skin affects for you. And that's because of an intentional disenfranchisement that has existed for hundreds of years. So if you're gonna, if we're gonna talk about undoing that, mm-hmm. we have to talk about addressing it and empowering the people in the way that they haven't been empowered. So you don't get to tell us how to fix it. We tell you how to fix it. Because you don't give a fuck enough to have looked at this without us in the first place. You don't get to tell us what we need. We'll tell you what we need. We'll come up with a number. 
And if you want to have the conversation, then come to the table. But you cannot, in America today, say that you are a friend or an ally of the black American if you are anti-reparations. But that's what's so wild to me. You went through, and I get, again, I've already talked about it being looking performative, but what you said is it needs to be, you need to hear, uh, you need to have us tell you. That's exactly what the task force did. That's what they did. You went through this whole process of where you can't even run from it. There have been, there has been so much research and a whole committee put together to inform you with factual information of how necessary it is. Like you were setting, if you never intended to make this happen, you were clear, like, what were you thinking? That's what I guess I don't understand. I get politicians being performative, but why would you go this far knowing you have everything in front of you and still possibly say no. If that's the position that you were going to take, you should have taken that position before you started this. Of It's not just about cash payments. I want Camila Moore on the, on the task, on, on the goddamn podcast. Camila Moore, I, the reparations task force, I have to have her on the podcast. Okay? It has to happen. We need her. We need her because we need to know what the hell is going her. on over there? Let's get her on. Not to change the subject, but my friend what? who's white, who listens to the podcast said... A white? A white? A white? Said, side note, I've been to Long John Silver's once. And she said, and it was with... I'm not going to say the person's name. It was with... And she says, name this person and they're black. She was like, and they took me. It was with a black family. So this gets rid of whatever belief you have that it's just white people that go... Black folks were going to because the only time she went, a black family took her. So, you, so I, first of all, I can't trust her. Okay, this has been my, this is my oldest friend. I've known her since I was three years old. You're not willing to put it on the um, on the blueprint and tell me who she is. No, I don't say people's names like you do. Cause she didn't ask for that. So, I'm looking at Long John Silver's. I'm looking at the untold truth of Long John Silvers. I'm looking at allegations that Long John Silvers has been racist in the past. And by the way, I'm not saying... <laughs> hold on for a second. <laughs> I'm not saying, okay, that Long... Look, racist restaurant. Wanted some fish for dinner. Drove 100 miles to eat here. Everyone in the restaurant... Oh, shit. <laughs> what, what year is this? Oh wow, this is this is so different. What year is this? I have to read the whole review now. Are they even open? Because this is against everything that I said. Go. <laughs> I'm sorry, Long John Silver. Go. Reviews on August 27th, 2017. Wanted some fish for dinner. Drove 100 miles to eat here. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everyone in the restaurant was black. <laughs> what is this? When we walked into the restaurant, all we got was dirty looks. Like, why were we coming in here? Had two employees at the counter. One waiting on the family. The other register had an employee just standing there. We asked him to take our order. He just stood there giving us a funny look. Then replied, I am busy. While he continued to just stand there. <laughs> we took the hint and walked out. This restaurant is evidently not for white people. 
damn. But when I look at the reviews of Long John Silver's here on the TripAdvisor, it's all white people. And there's one guy that says Long John Silver's is racist and informed in favor, should I say, of black people. So maybe we have to do more investigation into... I'm trying to see if they're even around. Like, where's the closest one? Gardenia. Oh, wow. Check this out. June 5th, 2020. Along John Silvers in West Virginia put on their thing, hand-battered fish matters. (laughs) They're never doing business with us. Long John Silver's <laughs> replied, we condemn all racism, <laughs> ju- injustice, and equality. The message had been up since earlier this year because we believe batter dipping our fish <laughs> improves in a restaurant, provides better quality. Look at what We it recognize like. how it could be viewed as a very insensitive sign right now, and we've removed it. So Long John Silver's had the hand-battered fish matters. Look sign. at that. Let me see. Look at what it looks like. Look at that fish. What fish, the one that pops up is what fish is used in long jumps. Probably caught. Wild caught, wild caught Alaska pollock. Oh, interesting. Um, real Allegedly. quick, uh, C.W. Mallory and his wife, Nicole Mallory, um, the black ranchers that were out there in El Paso County, their charges have been dismissed. Uh, we maybe should get Hawk back on to talk about that. Um, yeah, the, we should. The district attorney uh, determined that there was no likelihood for success at trial. They had been charged with felony stalking, tampering with utility meter, and petty theft uh, over the ongoing disputes with their neighbors out there. Um, Mallory says, justice delayed, but justice served. I'm happy that it got to this point. I knew that it would always get to this point. It's like I say from the very beginning, we did nothing, we said nothing, and we've been, we were attacked by the Sheriff's Department and the local community. Uh, that is ongoing up there. We will have Hawk Newsom back on the podcast to try to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, just also, just to say, they're still, it's not over because they're seeking justice for the things that happened to them. Right. So they still are seeking justice, but as far as them committing against them, hasn't happened. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to 
go into something real quick. So I saw this post. It's a very beautiful post. Okay. Very beautiful post. <laughs> All right. I'm serious. I'm serious. This is very serious. It was on XO Nicole. And it was from this beautiful black lady, very beautiful woman, who uh, she had made a TikTok. And on this TikTok, it talked about the fact that she was ready to give up on love besides trying Bumble one more time. She tried Bumble and she met this guy. He's a white dude. He's Irish. And it was during the pandemic. And they lived with each other. They were around each other a lot during the pandemic. Um, she looks to be an African sister. Nigerian woman. Nigerian woman. And now they are either engaged or married. So September 2020, she was single for about 10 years and was okay with the idea that she would never find somebody. And then she tried Bumble another time. She looks so happy. She does. And they look so amazing together. Okay? It looks like they're having a lot of love between each other. Kudos to them. So I'm watching this very beautiful love story, right? And I'm excited because I'm like, oh, look, they found each other, mm -hmm. right? Good for them. And then I go into the comments. You shouldn't have done the autopsy. I have to do the comment autopsy. <laughs> I always have to do it. And I see some stuff, Rachel. And I want to talk about it on the podcast. This is you, your segment. This intrigued you. And I really want to know, like, why? So, like, this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. Why was this the one you wanted to bring to the podcast? What was it about this? Some of these comments are wild, man. Are you shocked? It's, it's uh, I'm definitely tired of dating black men. They have too much trauma. Uh, one woman in the podcast or one person in the podcast said that uh, uh, it, 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 they think that they're the head of their households, but really it's Section 8 that's the head of their households. This podcast, this, 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 the comment section here went from celebrating the fact that these people found love mm -hmm. to talking about how shitty and terrible that black guys are and how black ladies need to be open to dating white men a little okay. bit more. You cherry-picked certain things out of it. I'm not saying that there wasn't a Did lot you of this. Look at the, the I looked at the comments, too, and I didn't even get to the black men part. I just saw a lot of people talking about, can I even date outside of my race? I saw women questioning that. Like, they look so happy. I'm happy for her. But I don't know if I can step outside of my race. I saw a lot of that. Then I saw a lot of people sharing their stories of how they haven't found. So they were like, good for you, girl. Happy you found him, but I can't date white. I saw a lot of that. Mm. So, which, that's why I asked if this surprised you because all these things from, from, from dogging black men to saying they couldn't date a black man to being happy to saying that they're only dating uh, non-black men, none of that conversation surprises me in a post like this. It's, it, it's just the trauma of them wanting to be like their mama, them thinking and wanting to be just like their favorite rapper but still want to lead when they follow someone else's. I've had exes that had great careers and personality but their family is trash and that's a big no. They're too involved in social media. Their male ego, I no longer want to cater to them getting mad. We don't believe 
the lies or beating you mad. So why so why'd you want to bring this to the podcast? Because I want to talk about this, okay? it's, It's very... We'll swear that they're winning and somebody's jealous. The worst thing is that restrictive relationship, controlling and poor. Talk about they run the household or man of the house. Sir, session eight is the man of the house. Now I see a bunch of people laughing. So this is why I want to talk about this. I'll tell you why. So, in a lot of metrics, black ladies are starting to do as well as or better than black men. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Black ladies are the most educated. Um, Black ladies are becoming entrepreneurs. Black ladies are doing all kinds of things. Um, And even though the pay gap still exists between black women and black men, there are a lot of measurables where black women are starting to do better than black men. Yeah. And as... (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) See? 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 Thank you. See? What? You said it and I agree. And you know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, as that happens, there starts to be a narrative now that black men aren't good enough in the dating pool for black women any longer. They're sick of it. They're tired of the bullshit. And there are all these other reasons that that, that people are, we're going to talk about this at the Summit of the Sexes. All these other reasons that, uh, that black women are frustrated with black men and we're poor, we're controlling, we have all of this trauma, all of this stuff like that. And I'm not saying that that's either here nor there. I'm sure I'm that ancient nigga that they're talking about. I'm sure. Okay. I will say this though. Do you think that black women's ascension, college education, up the pay scale, entrepreneurship, all of these things, Mm -hmm. is informing their opinion on black men. No. You don't. No. You don't think that it has anything to do with the fact that sisters are more successful than they've ever been and they're looking at their mates and not seeing mates that they feel are equal to them. No, because I think it's unfair to make that generalization because what I do find a lot is you're assuming that they're on this trajectory of, you know, uh, schooling, education, and career with a significant other. I'm seeing a lot of it where they don't even no, have No, no, no. I didn't say that they have a significant well, other you said at all. looking at their mate. So I'm so it sounds like No, no, no. What I'm saying is looking at their perspective mates. Their perspective. I'm telling you I know a lot of successful black women and there it is hard for them to even find somebody who wants to date them. So like it's it, this is such a hard conversation to have especially off the post like this that where this just went left or right because I mean where it went left because it's just it, it's hard you have to generalize and talking and talking this way but what I don't see is black women getting to a certain level and then just I mean there's some obviously but just as a as a whole looking at men and saying like black men specifically and are like no you're not you're not up to my standards you're not there what I see a lot of is black women I don't know if the word is settling, 
But make <laughs> there is such a desire to want that significant other, to want to be loved, to want to be adored, that they aren't looking at the black man like you got to have this, this and this. They're just looking for someone to do life with. And I have a, I have a bunch of friends who are like that. And then I have friends who wouldn't date the bus driver. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just hard to say that. But what I but to your point, I do not see black women saying as a whole, oh, well, because I got here, I'm, I'm here, here with my career, my schooling. I'm looking down on you as a black man. So understand what I'm saying. OK, so there is a book on this the book is called The Dating Divide, Race and Desire in the Area of the Era of Online Romance. And even in the article I'm reading right now, it says, why aren't college educated black black women meeting their match? Their match. Yeah. Their match. Yeah. Okay. So who's somebody that they feel is like... It's on their level. It's on their level. Like, what, equally yoked. Education. Equally yoked. Education. Money. Money. The I got whole you. Night. Okay. Um, and this is kind of what the Ebony K. Williams... Uh, Ebony K. Williams was talking about in terms of... At first, when she mm-hmm. was talking about before he mm-hmm. got into whatever it, it talked to. Mm-hmm. I find this interesting and I'll tell you why. This has to do with the freedom disease. Independence? Nope. Okay. So, obviously I know niggas that only date white girls. Mm-hmm. I don't know very many now, but I've known them in the past. Really? I don't know very many now at all. Don't be around the type of motherfuckers, man. You know that type of shit. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't know very many now. But I've known them in the past, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk to them about them dating white women, mm-hmm. it was very rarely about anything aesthetic. Like, it was very rarely about. Absolutely, you're right. It was very rarely like I think white women look better than black women. Well, some guys might have felt that way. Look, look, I'm not saying. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying that some guys didn't feel that way. Can I ask you a question? Are you just it. talking white or just non-black? Non-black, it gets weird. Thank you. Non- okay, so let's so let's specify because there's a fetish right. with the exotic. Non-black, non-black, I'll give you. Non-black okay. is getting weird because it was okay. like, you know, there was a whole mommy, mommy era, spicy mommy. It's still there. And you know what I'm saying? It was like a little mommy kind of situation and dudes would be like, oh, we want the mommies. And there was a weird, there was an era of... It's still there, by the way. The welcome to Miami situation mm-hmm. that changed, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, whatever. Uh, but you know what they would talk about? Like, then this was mostly when I first got out to LA and stuff. What what they would talk about was what they would say, hey, um, it really is not so much about... um." Uh, how how they look, they would say stuff like, "I'll be honest with you, I'm not gonna. You've met this guy before, but I'm not gonna tell you who it is." <laughs> I'll get three yeses off the ca- off the podcast. Yeah, I mean, you met this guy before. I'm not gonna tell you who it is. He goes, he goes. It's the fact that I feel free around him. That like I feel free. That was like because of everything that's happened, because of all the trauma that has existed, because of like black ladies are so protected, they're so protective and so guarded of who they are. And they have to be, right? Because they're they're so protective and guarded of who they are. They there's like he also said this, I'll just be honest with you. He says they're so protective and so guarded of who they are. He said, there's nothing in it. Like some of the white girls that I date, they come from families that are that have all of this shit. And because they are free, 
and whatever. He's like, they do all kinds of things that black women won't do. He's like, like, like what? I'd have to ask him. But like, he, they do all kinds of things that black women won't do. He's, he goes, I, never, I remember he said, bring him to the summit. I'll bring him to the summit. I'll bring him to the summit. No doubt. He will, he will have no problem doing it. I just don't want to ruin his entire life. <laughs> but I'll bring him to the summit. He said, he said, uh, he said, black women, this is what he said. What he said, he said, black women derive their power from saying no to things. White women derive their power from saying yes to things. That doesn't make any sense to me. Didn't make sense to me either. But when you started talking to a lot of the guys, athletes and stuff that I knew, what they would say was that they reached a level to where they couldn't see themselves in black ladies anymore because there was too much trauma, because they had gotten to a level of freedom where they don't really need somebody telling them what they won't do. They, won't, they don't need somebody telling them who, where they can't go, what they need to do. They need somebody who understands that now they're at a point to where they're hyper-desired, they have a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of influence, and they need someone who is willing to fit in with their life in a certain way. That is such bullshit. Okay, but listen to me. But listen to me. And they would talk about the fact that when they're around white women, white women would make them feel in a certain way about themselves. You Like, they would, and some of the stuff is anecdotal. They wouldn't say no to this. You can do this with them. You can do that with them. You can do this with them. And it was, it was always, always a conversation. I know you've heard this before. Yes, yes. But I like one, their privilege allows them to do certain things. That's true. But I don't believe that. I don't believe you're with this white woman because this white woman is like, oh, do whatever you want. Oh, you're so free. And black women have been so awful for you. I Listen, I went to Texas. I had a lot of friends that were athletes. I had a lot of friends who dated white women and I would sit and I would ask them because there was a stage in my life where I did not believe dating outside my race at all. And so, so, so here we go. It's true. It's true. And that shit changed. It changed in my 30s. Yeah. yeah. And, but I really was like, I didn't believe in it and I didn't understand why. And I would talk to them about it. And this generalization that black women are so hard and they won't let you in and they've been through so much trauma. Everybody's been through something. No, you just want that white woman. And you're making excuses to fit a certain narrative. But at the end of the day, that's just what you want. I feel there is a trophy mentality. I feel like you feel more accomplished when you have that white, more so for public figures. When you have that white woman by your side, that's how I looked at it. That's how I saw it. I would hear, and and you say it's not the physical, I would hear the physical too. Yes, more with the non-Black, but definitely with white women as well. I'd hear stupid, ignorant things about how they wanted their children to look. So there was this self-hatred that I believe that also goes along with Black men and their desire to date someone who's not a Black woman. Facts. Okay. Having said all of that, let me tell you where I draw a corollary between that method of thinking and the method of thinking that we're talking about right now. Because what we're essentially talking about is two groups that as they ascend in America Mm -hmm. find less connection between one another. That now I'm hearing, what I was hearing before was I'm a black man, I'm this, I'm moving up and because I'm moving up, I no longer want a black woman. And what what I'm starting to hear a little bit more of on the other side now is I'm a black woman. As I continue to move up, 
I no longer can really see myself in a black man. And everything that you just said is absolutely true. It's for certain true. But I'm starting to wonder whether a lot of the stuff that we're talking about was a function of, I mean, and this seems to be obvious, of capitalism, of America, of wedge driving, of separation that now sisters are just starting to experience themselves. They're just starting to look at black men as not good enough. I just don't, I just know so many successful black women who want a black man and their experience in dating black men is that black men almost make them feel small or they feel like they have to, like it dims their light because it's not, it's not celebrated or appreciated in that way. What's not celebrated or appreciated? Their success. So black, so these sisters that you're dating are, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 go. So no, these sisters no. that you're dating, uh-huh. they're with black men that are equally on their... They're st- trying to date and right. they're dating black men specifically. That's who they want. Right. And so often, the black men will make them feel less than, or I used to say this before I went on The Bachelor. They love the idea of me, but not the reality of me. What's the reality of you, do you So, well, like? the idea, they love like, oh, oh, I'm with her. She's an attorney, this, this, and this. But when it came to me living a life as an attorney, they didn't want that. What did that life entail? That entailed sometimes working on weekends. More than a, more, it's not a nine to five. Like, I go in early, especially if I'm working on a trial. Yeah. It's late, late. There's certain things, if you're wanting certain things, I can't necessarily provide it because I'm working super long hours or that kind of thing. They didn't like that. Right. So listen to what I said before. So I get that you have to make space for whoever is in your life in the Mm -hmm. way that you want them to be in life. And you have to figure out a life together in a a way. Think about what I said before. What I said before was, hey, this person says yes to the things that I asked them to do for whatever reason. And part of the reason is because there's... Subservient. For whatever reason. That's how they would act. I don't know that this is true. This is just what they would say. Mm -hmm. This person says yes to what I asked them to do. This person says yes to what I asked them to do because they understand that I'm some sort of commodity. Now, there are people people that are all... Black people... The notion that black men and black women are not together anymore is not true. Sure. All right. But what I'm talking about is these are issues that had to do with men who felt like they were too important to be with black women. And I always criticized it, right? I mm-hmm. always criticized the fact, I'm like, well, yeah. well, the reality is if you don't want to be with a black woman because you don't feel like you're being celebrated by her or you don't feel like she's subservient enough, or sometimes it wouldn't even be subservient. Sometimes you don't feel like she is uh, telling you what you want to hear. I'm like, that's a very shallow reason not to be with a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What I'm starting to see now is a part of that was because these guys thought that they were something more than black. Hmm. And a part of that was because they would look at what was on the other side of them and go, well, I'm here now, so that's not good enough for me anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm saying... Mm -hmm. There's a danger. We're not doing that. Of that happening on the other side. There is. We're not, I, I, I am not seeing that with black women. Okay. What I am seeing, though, and, I, and this is to my own experience. All you is we go to college so much more. We do this so no, much no, no. more. What I am we seeing no longer can more. find black, women what, that, black men that, that match us. What I am seeing, though, more of, I will say, is because I'll ask. I'm like, oh, you're single. Are you willing to date outside of your race? Why are you asking that? 
Why you be asking me that? Because I want to know what their type Ain't is. Nobody trying to join your. And shit. what I've realized is, back in their twenties, they would be like, "No." Now I hear my friends, and I'm shocked at some of them. They're like, "Yes, I would absolutely date outside of my race." I think that there's some there's a more openness to explore the other side. Whereas I would say before black women were like, black men, we got to hold them down. Hold them down. Hold them down, man. I think there's just a willingness. Gotta hold each other and you down. can't equate that with, oh, that they're more successful so they don't feel like they need oh, the black men. I think it's just... You can't deny that that's a part of it, though. You can't deny I, that that's a part I, of it. On copper, I have never heard a on black... copper? Nobody, not one black woman in my life has said, well, I'm, I've reached a certain status. I don't need black men. I've never heard that. No, no, no. Not need. I've I don't want. A, hold on, hold on. I've reached a certain status and I can't find a black man on that same status. I haven't heard that. Never. Not in my, in my, okay. I really haven't. I hear that shit a lot. And so to me, it doesn't exist because I haven't heard it. Okay. Not taking, not taking. Okay. Whoa. Well, and again, I'm generalizing. Yeah. Oh, the summit. The summit's going to be great. So Who look. Who are you bringing? Um, I want to bring the guy that said all of this, but I just, he might just need to sit in the audience. He's got a lot going on, and he's gonna ruin yeah, yeah, it if don't, he gets to talking. I don't want to see that happen. Plus, I don't want to see his whole white family. <laughs> Who are you? Right? You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> like we be around, and I've noticed it for a long time, and I'll be looking at him like, bro, like you know. And I've met them. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we. I don't think so. We, I think you have. No, you. Well, maybe you have. Oh no. I'll tell you, you didn't, there was something that happened and you didn't come to it anyway. So, um, but, you know, he bring his whole family around and it's like, because he's light-skinned. Mm-hmm. So everybody's light-skinned and she t- she's a nice lady. Nice, by the way, <laughs> by the way, having said that, people didn't fuck with white people before. Yeah. Dated white, I, like, people have fucked with white people before. Yes. It's not like I've never dated a white girl before. But like, it's, 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 it's just, his, his family's white. <laughs> and I really hope I have black children. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's, it's like, I just, I told him one time, I was like, you know, that's crazy. Like, you know, they don't look like they have any black in them. Nah, dog. And it's like, it's no, there's nothing wrong. No, I, mean, I know, it's, it's I fine, know, I know. But it's like, can y'all really watch Harlem Nights together? Yes, they can. Can they? I don't think they can watch it. Is he going to show it? I think, I think, I think it's offensive. I think it's offensive if all of them sit around <laughs> and watch all the So white people can't watch? They can, but not under the guise of being black. <laughs> He's going to be so who, fucking pissed who off. Are you? Does he listen to the podcast? Yeah, he's going to be so pissed off. He, but he, 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 if he he's stayed, been your friend for a long time, he knows how you are. Like, he stand on that shit. I was like, so, bro, you he need to tell him. He's got a whole family. I hope he he's does. Like, he's like, he's like uh, bro, we was watching Life. I was like, really? I was watching Life? Y'all just sit down and y'all watch life. So do you do that to me and Brian? No. Like, we can't watch black movies? You and Brian are different, though. You and, you are, you and Brian are different. But also, there are no children if yet. I pro- if I produce if a ch- real... If, you're, if, if, your ch- if your children come out and it's Abbas... How you say his name? Abbas Solo. If your children came out and it's the Absol kids... Like a bunch of assholes, they signed the TDE and they look like a bunch of. And I come in. <laughs> they signed the TDE. And, and, you got, and your kids come out and they're a bunch of assholes. And I come in y'all crib and I see that y'all watching Coming to America. I'm gonna be like, nah, nah, man. Just cut this shit off. Like, put on the Princess Diaries, bro. Like, let's watch, let's watch Devil May. Let's watch. Uncle Ben, hi. 
car. I'm like, hey. Oh, if I have some white kids, hey. you're going to be babysitting. I'm, I'm going to be right there like, hey, you want to watch? Let's turn this off. Let's watch The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> the Parent Trap. Who are you bringing to the summit? Who am I bringing to the summit? Um, Ian and Walter McLaughlin are coming to the summit. Uh, Wait, does Walter live in Baton Rouge, too? Walter lives in Baton Rouge, too. I, 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 I think uh, I'm going to have to stretch it to three people. I think, well, yeah. Cause, so I don't think I need to bring Ian and Gina. I like, is that the whole Player Proof crew? No, the whole Player Proof crew is Ian, Gino, Ryan, Brian, and Trey. Okay, Walter. Sorry, Walter. Well, well, Gino is Walter. Oh. Walter, Gino, <laughs> oh. Yeah, so Gino is Walter. So um, I don't know if I need to bring Ian and Gino. I think one of them can be on the panel, and then one of them can just come and be in the audience. So I'm bringing two of my sorority sisters. <laughs> one is married. One is single, and I'm bringing, and I want a younger voice. I'm gonna bring a younger voice. So too. I'm bringing my friend Deandra. Okay. And she's gone viral for good and bad reasons on TikTok for certain things that she, opinions she said. So I think that she will be, she is very much about like, you know, stepping into, into your divine feminine power. And I just think that she'll bring a very interesting perspective. So I wanna bring, I need somebody in their twenties. She is. That's why. That's She's one of the reasons. I need a trying to think. I need somebody in. There. I want some. I want y'all to. I want. If you, how about this? This is what. This is what I'll do. Because I need a <coughs> a black male in his twenties, right? I need you to have some opinions. I don't need you to necessarily have combative opinions, but I need you to. So, so reach apply. Out. So reach apply. out. Reach out. Reach out to me. Hit me in the DM. Talk to me. Matter of fact, anybody that feels like they have something to say, just hit me and we'll see if that's the thing. But I don't think I should bring in and, you know. I because, mean, I'm bringing two of my friends. But if you, if I bring, are they, do they know each other well? Yeah, we're, we all are Deltas. See, if I bring in and, you know, then what happens is, this happens with Player Proof, like we meld into one. <laughs> so then Ian and Gino will be basically on the same team and they are like the magic and bird of fuck shit. So they... they I mean, well, no, I'm not the magic and bird. I mean, the Kareem and magic of fuck shit. Them niggas can do fuck shit together more, better I than I really any. want them there. I, mine are a lot alike, but do have differing opinions on certain things because we have a chat and I see it. Okay. So that's why I'm like, we'll figure it out. I mean, you know, man, we'll do because Ian and Gino are different in that Ian is like super conservative and I didn't realize that. Great. Okay. All right. All right. Some of the sexes coming in July. Uh... Take thing caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Layton Jr. And I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys. 